0: Hello everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of the Event Tech Talk Show, a new live broadcast brought to you by Event Tech Live. Um, our next event is Event Tech Live US and Canada and that'll take place on June the 8th and 9th. Uh, for more information on that event and how you can get involved, please visit eventtechlive.com. We are actively looking for fabulous speakers so if you are passionate about event technology or events in general and you want to get involved in either a solo presentation a panel presentation or a case study, go to eventtechlive.com click on the call for papers at the top and please do apply now if you missed last week's episode which was episode three where i interviewed marco giberti and denzel rankin We looked at the launch of their new book, Reinventing Live, and you can actually now watch that podcast back on YouTube or actually listen to the audio version on all of the major podcasting networks, including Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we've made it really simple. You can actually just type in EventTech Talks with a plural, that's talks.com, and that'll take you right back to the archive so you can look at all the past episodes. Um, a quick thank you to our sponsor again, EventsCase, who's sponsoring all 21 episodes of the Event Tech Talk Show. They are Europe's largest event management software provider. So if you're in the market for a virtual or hybrid event tech platform, please do go check them out at eventscase.com. Today, my guests are Dahlia Al ghazar of Dahlia Plus Agency based in the States and James Morgan, course leader in tourism and events management at the University of Westminster here in the UK. Today, Dahlia and James will be discussing how we design events, build events and use technology to deliver those engaging online events. So please feel free to interact and ask questions in the comments and I'll bring those on screen and put them to Dahlia and James. Now, In previous episodes we've had a few people that have commented on Facebook and we've not been able to see their picture and their name we want to do that as long as you do and we want to be able to bring you on screen give you your own airtime but also be able to actually call you by your name so StreamYard says that if we ask you to go to StreamYard.com forward slash Facebook then StreamYard will ask you to access your Facebook name and picture once you've accepted, then your name and picture will come in as part of your comments and for any future episodes that you wanna um, kind of get involved. So do ask questions. If we don't get a chance to answer some of your questions, we'll try to follow up on Twitter using the hashtag event tech talks. So James, Dahlia, Hello. welcome to the event tech talk show. you Hi. Um, so Dahlia, before we actually jump into today's topic, Yesterday, it was International Women's Day, and you are the lead ruckus maker on a great movement, Women in Event Tech. Can you just give us a little overview about what what is Women in Event Tech? Who is involved? How can people get involved?
1: Absolutely. So, yes, yesterday was International Women's Day to celebrate our big and small wins and women in our industry And it should not be only one day. So I say we celebrate them every day, every moment. So we're going to do that. Women in um, Event Tech is, uh, we have a mission, our ethos, as someone named it, is we empower, we educate, and we lean on each other. So this is for everybody um, that, uh, females only at the moment. So with due respect, Um, and basically it's for us whether it's for people that have an idea on a cocktail napkin, they are working within event tech, or they are—they uh, know how to speak event tech, whether they know they do or not, because there are people out there that do that. And it's for us to continually educate ourselves as well as lift each other up, and also lean on each other in the sense of, for those that are terminated, furloughed, looking for projects, we help each other out that way. We have a Facebook group right now, which is Women in Event Tech. We also have, um, we're also on LinkedIn and we have a Slack channel for those that get approved to be part of it. And we have monthly meetups. So pretty, I think we're around 800 right now.
0: That's amazing. And we'll be doing some stuff Event Tech Live US and Event Tech Live UK getting those people together. We actually you actually delivered a fantastic kind of networking get together, didn't you at Event Tech Live in November. That's that's one of the pictures we've got screenshotted for kind of marketing literature and stuff. So Yeah,
1: and thank you for supporting us. So
0: No, no, no. We we as an event organizer, I think we are arguably more women than we are men. So, you know, event industry news Event Tech Live, we are powered by very strong independent females as well. So why will not we support Perfect. it? Thank you. Um, so to get into today's topic, designing online events, we've we've seen so many online events happen over the last uh, 12 months or so, some fantastic, some not so great. And there's a lot of conversation about the methodology that goes behind delivering online events. What works physically? Does that translate online? Um, and, you know, I've seen a lot of mistakes, me personally, where technology, the platform, actually seems to become the first tick box that everybody's looking at when it comes to putting events together. I'm going to start with you, James, because as the lecturer of all these new event management students coming out of the University of Westminster, you're you're right in the thick of it teaching people how to go about this. So from from your experience, James, what what's the methodology that you teach around how to design events and is, is online events part of that curriculum now that we're, we're kind of seeing an explosion of these
2: um online and uh, well digital hybrid is definitely part of that um but the same principles apply adam so at the beginning of the process you are looking at your event objectives what are those exactly and you have to take a step back for that and say well, what's the behavior change that this event is aiming to achieve in the audience i mean if it's if it's a fun event it's going to be about having a laugh and then they come away with some good memories and some brand recognition for example that would be the behaviour change, or if it's a sales kick-off for a conference, it's going to be will people change their working practices and their working flows and the way they do things to get more sales. So that behaviour change comes before the next bit, which is the engagement strategy to actually affect that behaviour change. And then you can start setting your objectives. And I think that's the important part is to think of behaviour change, engagement strategy to create that change,
0: and then formulate your objectives. And Dahlia, you've been advising so many people over the last 12 months, I know we've seen it on the WhatsApp, we've discussed it off air, on air, you know. How are you, what's the methodology from your side? Because you're not coming from the Westminster, you're just coming from that raw, real life experience, right? Like, so what? what's it, how do, how do you advise in terms of going about designing well, the online well, event?
1: The first thing I say is no. <laughs> So when someone comes and says, oh, let's, you know, take and replicate and duplicate our face to face and put that virtually, the answer is no. Um, And the, the reason for that is when you do that, there's a certain number of expectations that you are putting in place, whether you know it or not, especially with your stakeholders, especially with your attendees and your sponsors and your exhibitors where it won't make sense in a virtual world. And it's just going to continue that way. If you keep wanting to say, I'm replicating my face-to-face, I'm going to duplicate this. Those, those or let it trans, or some aspects of the face-to-face need to translate in hybrid or virtual. Those three words need to die, like pivot needs to die. So if, if you want to reset, if you want to refresh, You have to look at like, and and this goes with James, what he's saying in regards to who are your stakeholders? Because now we have had a year where we have new audiences. Therefore you cannot replicate for them. They're first timers. How are you going to replicate for them? You have to redesign, refresh, reset how you think of events on your expectations, on the desires and goals for each stakeholder, as well as for your organization. And then deliver on that the engagement part is key but more so than anything the definitions of what's hybrid what's an event anymore the term exhibitor might not even translate into a virtual world so this is where you need to reset and look at your events not one-offs it has to be an entire cycle of experiences does that make sense
0: absolutely but i guess to throw a little caveat back there at you, yeah. yeah. You know the, the pandemic was something that nobody planned for, and digital events were were thrust upon them. With mm-hmm. th- in some cases, not much time at all to pivot. And I've I've taken my sign down for you as well, Dahlia. Okay. Um, you know, can can we honestly say people had the opportunity to try something new, having probably previous sponsors, previous stakeholders? an expectation as well about the format of the event and also not the freedom to try anything new because it was kind of, you've got to fit in this box. We've got to do this because that's what we did last year.
1: Yeah. So, so the idea of start of trying something new, it was, they were trying something new, but it's also because it was forced. And right now we're at a point where we have the luxury. If we can like take a global pause as an event professional to, um design better with people's expectations and design intentionally that's a tahira and dean word by the way intentionally design your events then you won't be trying to it's not the hamster wheel anymore you're actually putting thought in it and and not designing within the boundaries of a tech platform as we were trying to do with clients in 2020 Now we need to be a little bit more strategic and about the engagement part about the content and the delivery and the experiences rather just then let's duplicate a face to face.
2: I agree with Dahlia, yeah. I think um, duplicating can be very, very difficult Mm -hmm. uh, from the, the point of view of boring people to death. because. When you're in a room with live people, you have that um, serendipity going on. You have that emotional triggering from people saying hello to each other. You can't replicate that online. So, you know, people have been organising. I saw a Facebook post the other day saying we're organising our four-day event online. Can I have some ideas to do that? And my reaction was, well, don't do four days online because people to sit there for seven hours over well 28 hours over four days just too much nobody wants to do that
0: you just can't replicate it do you think then we'll see people designing events that are actually sessions broken down over much longer periods of time giving people the almost episodic like the event tech talk show right is 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 this now an event because it's you know regular it comes up people might hopefully, than 10 people watching us have got it in their diaries. Um, you know, it's is arguably that an event, or is that something totally different? Because people would argue that this is a broadcast, this is media, this is not necessarily an event. But I guess what you're saying there, James, is that you don't necessarily have to cram things into four days. That doesn't have to be your event design, right?
2: No, I, and I think you're right, Adam. It needs to be more episodic, especially when you've got a lot of content to get through. And... Um, you know, in terms of, say, internal, I'll go back to the sales kickoff idea, you could do that for an hour a day for breakfast over the space of a week and give them like a half-day's experience uh, kind of thing. Um, so we we are entering the, the realms of broadcast, but we're entering the realms of participative broadcast. Mm. So people can actually engage with each, with each other. For example, on the this platform, we've just got some very basic engagement uh, kind of um, tools, um, in terms of you know the comments being made and the questions, but you can have something a lot more bells and whistles to that. But it's still a broadcast, and I think if you go back to the broadcast industry and you look at something like America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent, the participation really is the hashtag. That that's the intermediation device that brings the audience at home together to the people in the studio and the broadcaster themselves and then the social feeds that follow that. So we're using a very, very similar kind of arrangement for these online events. So you can say that we are really becoming, in a way, broadcasters.
0: Do you think the same, Dali, or have you got some Uh, different opinions on that?
1: Absolutely. I think the same. So here's the thing. Everybody's talking about Zoom fatigue.
0: Hmm.
1: not zoom fatigue it's being bored to death from <laughs> your talking heads <laughs> and yeah. Um, and you guys know this it's not about like being on screen on zoom it's about the content it's about the delivery and it's about the engagement plan so are you playing candy crush on the side You have like, did you just register yourself for three different events and have different screens up and you're like hearing it in the background and saying, yeah, I'm there, you know, take a selfie with another zoom screen with everybody tiled on it. That is not it. The, the, the part about it is Adam, to your point, this is an event and it is going to get on people's calendars. It's going to be consistent because it has a goal. The mission has to be stated the stakeholders have to be identified. This is going to be for event organizers that want to reset what they're doing, right? This is not for exhibitors. For exhibitors and for people that want B2B leads, this is not the event for them. So for example, pretend CES had one part about content virtually Mm -hmm. for the 150,000 people. But what if they had their exhibitors having storefronts open 365. That is okay. As long as right now, the beauty of this is the virtual and hybrid world, you are not married to start and, and end dates anymore. And this actually is mind blowing for event organizers and trade show organizers as we know them. They go by start and end dates. And that's what, for them to have that internal discussion with the stakeholders internally, it's a hard thing. That's where we spend most of our time giving them the talking points to take to their C-suite or giving them the talking points to take to their sponsor sales. You're not selling a six foot table in a garbage can anymore. Guess what? You need to actually talk to them and say, you're going to give me $10,000. What do you want in return? Do you Mm -hmm. want a storefront for 365? So like, We we need to reset all of that. Like an event is not one-offs anymore. It's broadcasting. This is why we binge on Netflix, right? This is why we look forward to season 5.2 of Lucifer, because we know what we're getting into, and, and you commit. This is a commitment, and it has to be both ways, so...
0: Yeah. And we have a comment here from Elena Marson who ag- agrees with you. You know, she thinks that the length of a virtual event is one of the key components when designing design any any digital experience. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, Dali, you have to come back from the objective. You don't have to necessarily... There, there are some principles. It's good to give people start dates and end dates and times because it allows them to fit in that calendar. Um, but if we're talking to a community that's there and connected all year round, we can bring new events in, new types of events, new moments, just moments in time, right? There could be a net, just one single networking event around a bigger event that's the week before. And I think, yeah. you know, to, to be fair to the team at Swapcard, they tried to leverage things like Clubhouse, didn't they, to kind of start those conversations for small micro tribes of people to kind of like, okay, we're going to start talking about this prior to the event. That arguably in itself was another event as an extension exactly. of that that bigger event. Exactly. So give me we've we've been quite critical up to now. All the things you shouldn't do, but not everybody I'm sure everybody's been seeing lots of things they shouldn't do in their experience themselves. Dali, I'm gonna start with you. Have you got an example of an event that you've either helped produce, helped to organize, attended, <laughs> that you thought was a really good way of participating from an attendee perspective, or, or for building it out for attendees. Like, is there anything that sticks out of your mind, and why? Why does that stick out in your mind?
1: So, so one, so a couple. One was uh, taking a client who had a face-to-face with very high-level sponsors and exhibitors that um, paid a lot of money for lead gen, for the handshakes, for the conversations. <clears throat> and we turned that instead of a five day event, we helped them turn it, the concept itself, into um, have your content be a couple of days and then have the next week be the B2B you know, exchange. So that worked really well because it was focused. I attended a uh, web summit and Web Summit was the bomb. I know people liked and wanted to be in Portugal, I get that, but one thing that they did was, it was jam-packed, so that's one, but the other thing is they surprised and delighted their attendees quite a bit, and we cannot forget to do that. Yes, I did uh, do Sangrias with drag queens in Portugal, and it was kick-ass, so you, you need to not forget that. You laugh, but it was the bomb. The other thing is they had speed dating. So you were able to be matchmate with others that had your interest and just get on video chat like for two minutes and connect that way. That's a great thing to do, especially for first timers. Everybody has to understand the, the surge of registration that happened last year where they were like worried about registration you have to figure out what you're going to do with that new audience because they do not have the luxury of knowing an Adam and a James and the hugs in the corridors of the aisles of, you know, IMAX and so forth. So that is something to take in consideration. So the surprise and delight, the, the, the matchmaking, the networking, then ad week 2020 did a fantastic thing where they took all the content that they had and created TV channels by category of content, and put it on TV, put it on the Roku, where people were able to just do it from their couch. They were couch surfing, but they were consuming content. And that is one thing that people need to take a look at. If you were not designing or creating content before for your events, for different audiences, that is your linchpin right there. That is what's going to get people coming over and over to your different events to this episodes, for example, yep. to your ETL, for example. So those three things, those three examples.
0: Great examples. I, I've been to Web Summit myself and funnily enough, my first experience I flew out there just, you know, it was tech, I saw the odd company that was event related and they were quite early leaders with the event app and the matchmaking on the event app. It was, it was basic, but it did the job. And that allowed me to connect up with, I think, like twelve or thirteen different people that were related to the events industry, took them onto WhatsApp and then, you know, this was when it was back in Dublin and all of a sudden you're in the middle of Dublin having Guinness and having a crack. Um so it's yeah, Web Summit have done some great things. And I think, you know, what I've taken away from what you said there is just breaking up those elements and focusing them on each individual element rather than trying to shoehorn them all into one, what experience. Do you guys think that's one of the biggest mistakes we've seen is, is people trying to do too much in, in one go? Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And I think Dahlia's point about like sort of splitting out those micro experiences that make people, like, it's like a, going into a sweet shop and say a bit of that, a bit of that, and a bit of that at this particular moment in time is really key because that experience scape that you're trying to um, design has got to appeal to the five senses. So, what we can do is we can use the the sight and sound in terms of the content delivery and people um, using their phone maybe or a second screen to add the touch. Um, we sing a lot of festivalization in in our um, in our events. Uh, female event planners just talked about they were all singing online in the end. Again, that's a festivalization aspect or delivering just e-vouchers or, or cocktail making and comedy and things like that and and i think that delivering those micro moments or micro experiences within that um within in that that bigger experience is key so i like what dolly is saying and i think you also have to look at the um the service scape aspect so um just a simple example the baltic nordic event awards that i attended um, back in uh, July last year, was a very, very well-run event on a, a platform by a Russian company called Eventitious. Mm-hmm. But if you looked at the screen, it had different camera angles from a studio-based idea, but then they had polling, they had sponsors on the screen, they had um, other messages. So that the entire look of the screen was not just like we see now with like three talking heads. There were different functions on the screen that you could interact with at the same time. So again, those little micro experiences that you could you get hold of at any point in time. But the main um, the, the the main screen was always focused in on the award ceremony itself. Mm-hmm. So um, oh, yeah I think we're talking a lot of things for once. Well,
0: you 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 guys are disappointing me. You said you were going to disagree with each other before we came on out. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I I. I... So here, okay, fine. You want that? All right, let's do this. I, I, I do, I do challenge the, the, you know, anybody that's listening to us. We need different terminology. We need to sort of, and I, I'll go like on a, uh, like on a limb here. We need to just, be, what if we get rid of the word event? What happens then? What do you replace it with? As well as, you know, what's, what's the definitions that people need to come up with? that makes sense for their own organization. This is not, it doesn't have to be a general statement for the whole industry. This is where we need to have, you know, those professionals figure out their business models, their organization, what those goals are. Because you, I know everybody's sick and tired of Zoom, but like, honestly, you can have, we have one client that did 70 Zoom like meetings last year instead of their annual. That was their pipeline for this year's hybrid event, so they were able to gain all that audience. They wouldn't have been able to do that, and that takes a lot of engagement planning, like James was talking about. But do you want to define a Zoom meeting as as a as a you know as a as an event or not? So this is this is I, I need people to like stretch out of their comfort zone and not take a look at technology first. Because, you know, like Paulina was saying, because Paulina is a uh, female event planners. Um, and I know that she got hacked yesterday and and uh, Zoom bombed as they say. So, So you can't take only a look at technology and design within. It has to be totally, totally different. Redefine what an event is.
0: Yeah. It's, a, it's a really hard point though isn't it and it's one of the questions I've got here like where in the process should the technology come though because you know there's 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 definitely the pressure to get the venue in place right and mm-hmm. people like to work with the venue because that gives them an idea of what they can even do with the space like okay so now I got, I've got I've booked the Soho Hotel or the the you know the New York whatever like once you've got that in place you can kind of start to build the event out because you can design certain features around certain areas but with technology that seems to be in some cases the 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 death strike it's like you go down this route of like well this ticks all the boxes it's got everything and then you oh we want to do this and it doesn't quite fit the bill or it's you know, it's a battle tank for for a birthday party kind of scenario, and you know, you've overspect it, overspend, it's overcomplicated, and you just zoom. Is there anything wrong with Zoom? I don't think there's anything wrong with Zoom, personally. It's a, no, it's no, you know,
2: it's perfectly, it works perfectly, and I think that um, I think it depends on the organisation itself. So if you think about what the difference between an association or corporate brand, they have these organisational objectives. You know, it's about sales with a brand. Um, And with an association, it's about membership, value and engagement. So what they need to stop thinking is that those are our headline kind of organisational objectives. How does that move down into the event objective area and what might be our technology stack to do that? But then they, you know, they have the luxury of budget. If you're just a one man band, small business and you want to do an event every three months, you're probably gonna have to go for the talking heads option because it's probably the most reasonable and make the mm. best job of it. Mm. So, you know, it all depends on um on, on the business itself, the budgets it has available. Um but then again, you know, where the users are. So, you know, if for example I'm a small uh, a business that deals in publishing about e games, I'll probably broadcast out on Twitch, for example.
0: Yeah.
2: And you know, use something like StreamYard to, to broadcast to there because it's cheap and cheerful. But if I'm the association of e gamers, I might choose, you know, something like Canopy, where, you know, I can have the AR stadium and I can do something really bells and whistles with that kind of design.
0: Darley, where are you advising people kind of start looking at platform and technology? What what where in the process do you think they should think about it?
1: So so my advice is don't look at platforms on your own. And this is not a plug for like, hey, bring in you know Dahlia or bring in James, for example, to help you take a look at it. But it honestly is right now, if any lesson we learn, you need to collaborate with others. And you should not be putting the whole burden on yourself to try to figure out whether this tech platform is for you or not. Hmm. devil's advocate not every platform needs to serve every single event you put together so like you know if you have an annual yeah you might want to go big with a platform etc that you know has the capabilities for showcase and da 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 if it's a sales if, if it's a sales summit why not do it like in a vr type of or 3d type of environment like an expo for example, or, um, one of the, you know, one of those community type of things. And, but the most important thing is don't try to do due diligence on 75 platforms on your own. It will cause you to drink so much. You won't believe it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, the tech companies are doing their best, but they will dish you everything. And then they will leave you to like, try to like, take it apart. What works for you? What doesn't that's, that's the other part of it. And, and, and honestly, to have someone like, you know, navigate those waters, that's not a bad thing because like you said, I think a lot of people try to do so much and now they're like, what about our budgets? Uh, You know, because they relied on monies that were already spent on a face-to-face mind you that were shifted over a year now they have to start fresh so guess what you not only need to make due diligence on the platform what about your marketing what about your sales because that skill set for like your different types of events that needs help as well and and we see this often you know it's like oh i have this virtual beautiful thing let me put a kit together show them where the branding can be and then you know exhibitors and sponsors are 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 not happy and then what you won't get them back
0: i think because i think our... that's a go ahead, go ahead james
1: can i just flip that
2: um about the the kind of platforms and choosing it because we've got you know we've we've developed this in in the technology marketplace we've developed this bubble over the last year and a half and i think uh, the valuation of hopping is is testament to that at 4.65 billion but as people go back to live or to virtual we're going to see less use of the um of uh, uh, back to hybrid we're going to see less use of the virtual i think um but then that kind of begs the question of how the suppliers going to price themselves now because dolly and i a year ago we had a discussion or just after the lockdown about what people were charging um for um uh, creating virtual events so do you remember dahlia that, yeah uh, some of the crazy pricing that was going around it's- and um you know we we had this discussion and then i think that, that there has to be a discussion now about how do we price flexibly so that if i am a small company i'm doing 10 events a year but i only need zoom for two and I want something like a gamescape like Expo for one of them. And then I want uh, to use events case for another three of them. How's that all going to work instead of me paying for a whole year's worth of a subscription? So I think the technology industry in terms of the way they, they, they look at their pricing is also going to have an impact on how we design events going forward as well.
0: Well, on, on that point, I think, I think you both have points that are kind of connected there. Isn't it? I've seen it a lot. Dolly. you obviously do this as a professional service to organisers to weave through the platforms and to James's point, probably tell them what's a fair price, what's an overinflated price, what's, what's bundled features that you don't necessarily need or even more so, things that are not part of the proposal from the supplier and need to be part of the proposal from the supplier, they're left on the table. And I'm seeing many, many more organizers organizations or individuals set back you know a a shanty event mind pro these guys are doing it for for their customers we've got arvi from smart tech business solutions who he's doing it and then you end up getting into the helping them actually go through the process and deliver the event but i think it's really interesting what you said james because that's where some of the value comes from working with individuals who know the landscape because they can Fast-track you to the right solution and make sure you don't get burnt with price or walk away from the table without actually needing something that's not part of the packaging you should actually be paying for. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting. But, you know, pricing models and things like that, budget does come into it, right? You know, when it comes to a choice of platform, maybe that's where some of the event design has to kind of maybe go a little by the wayside because, it, you know... Event Tech Live would be able to afford the half a million 3D, you know, Unreal Tournament event. It's it's up there, isn't it? It's, it's more than some physical venue costs. And I think that's one of the challenges people have got of actually designing hybrid events as well, is going back to having a physical venue cost and also a digital venue cost now.
1: I mean, keep in mind that, when when you when you bring in technology platforms, especially when you bring in multiple and they're all integrated or there's a band-aid between all of them, and we've all been there, the, the onboarding of your event participants in order for them to maximize their experience is higher. And that is something that you would need to put budget towards because you cannot just like, design this amazing gamescape and realize that your attendees don't know how to navigate it. Or you can't design an exhibitor hall or product showcase hall or storefronts and just leave it up to the sponsors and exhibitors to go do their own schedules, video chats, etc. It won't work that way. But imagine no. if you come to a point where the first things when it comes to event design that you, your goals are one, to create the, the serendipitous or whatever, like chances of people to meet like-minded or not. That is number one. And that goes back to the engagement that James was talking about. I don't know about the five senses because I still don't know how to like get that yet. So, but, and then the other thing is you need to spend money on content creation and more money on marketing, because your cookie cutter, your email campaigns, your marketing team is not going to be able to sustain how to get those attendees and those stakeholders part of it anymore. So like, that's a reset altogether. That's where the budget should be. Yeah, so
0: we've got we've got an interesting comment here from Phil as well. He he's saying on demand modules will be the way forward to help with event size fluctuation do you guys see that as being a bigger part of the event design you know that ecosystem of right now we've got all of this content this needs to live and breathe somewhere does that live on does that just continue to live on the event platform or do you actually take that and create kind of micro on-demand events around certain topics and subjects i know william thomas uh, Gallus Events does that. He takes his main content and then splits that out into on-demand events and things. Mm -hmm. Do you do you agree with Phil?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I think so because what he's doing, what what that idea does, it allows you to engage with your community in ways that is personal to them. They they want to know about that particular subject at that moment in time, and then they can access that. So in a way, without saying this is your personal choice, they are making a personal choice. That's personalization. And I think also it's about engagement throughout the year. So, you know, you might have lots of content like uh, you you have from Event Tech Live and you drip feeding that out as the year goes on, Adam. And then so people can either choose, personally choose to watch it or not. Um, but then you're engaging with your community on, on on an ongoing basis and you're building a community through that as well because you're gonna get new signups and people that love the content are gonna be advocates for you. So in terms of those relationships that you're building in the community, it's a good thing, I think. Well done, Phil, thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a magic word right there, which is community. Everybody's building a community. So therefore, is that a different platform?
0: It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, I've talked about this a lot, community, and and this is probably a whole nother episode around just just purely around community. Um, There's a gentleman called Ashley Friedman who's, you know, his definition of community is actually quite small. But I think from an organizer perspective, we're thinking about communities as these these monolithic, mega, kind of 10,000 people engaging with each other and talking with each other on a platform and stuff. And, his opinion is actually more different it's actually a, a community could be six or ten people around a subject my opinion although i would argue that we are trying to foster the the infrastructure in place around event tech live for those conversations to happen my event community is actually you guys it's the people tuning in today it's the people commenting it's you dali it's you james It's the lifeblood, the the heart. It's even my exhibitors and my sponsors, those guys that come every single year and we high-five and we have beers and all that kind of stuff. For me, that's actually my event community, but I appreciate we have a semi-transient community that's interested in our content and also wants to engage with those individuals that I mentioned in that community as well. So community is an interesting one. It's the terminology that we're using at the moment as an industry to try and describe... Connecting people up all year round, but I wonder if it will change somewhat.
1: I don't think it will.
0: Probably not, because like think... you, 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 wanted to ditch event the word event earlier, and that's not going to happen either, Dahlia. <laughs> Want to
1: bet? Okay, <laughs> on that one. I, I, here's here's what I bet. I bet there's going to be an influx of communities, not the hybrid models. And based in the communities is where you're going to have your mini experiences. And I did not use the word event.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. So on that note, then, we have a Facebook comment from a user we don't know. Do apologize. Wish you knew who you were. <laughs> um, by all means, type another comment. And while I'm reading this out, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up. But um, can you give an example, then, of an event that's pivoted well to build a community? Is that even a thing yet? Have we seen that?
2: Um, I personally can't uh, do that because most of the events I've attended have been run before, so they already have a basic community around them. Um, uh, I don't know, Dolly, have you got my... Um, so, the- so
1: in my opinion, the the first one to to do this or the first type of persona that it would serve them well is... Uh, oh, hi, Martin. <laughs> Martin. Um, Um, the first, the first persona that would benefit from this, if they think of it strategically are associations, Mm. because member dues, I'm sorry, are not going to be what they used to be. No. And you know, the, the face-to-face and the one-offs not going to be what it used to be. And if they are able to successfully create a community or communities, micro-communities within that space, their own space, and really go to everybody wants to belong for a reason, either for education, peer-to-peer, or just for sanity purposes. Build the community, then build the content, build the networking, and build the experiences, the content exchange around that. Um. and that is what is going to happen so like for example you're asking for um examples of how this has happened well look at swap they built a community and mm-hmm. so so that's one and you also have hubspot so inbound mm-hmm. you know their community is thriving after they went virtual they should not let go the, of that they will not go let go of that so so but you this is a different skill set this is a different mindset. Your C-suite probably think it's too fluffy. This is not like what they see is, you know, a trade show bringing in $5 million. Right. This is where you have to reset the whole entire conversation. Oh, I agree.
0: But with there you are so, there are some, there are some existing examples and arguably the element of this community coming together takes place online before the festival download festival which is run by one of the biggest organizers in the world live nation is known for at the heart of that event a very tightly knit community which they've built the infrastructure for this community to connect up make big decisions on the event like they make, they're involved in how the event plays out, from the design changes to headline acts to even the food and catering. Like this community is at the start, at the heart of it, and actually that community works really well because that community helps new people to learn and understand and get the best out of the event as well. So for me, as an event owner, I see our duty is the way to put the infrastructure in place and allow the community. To do their own thing in the way that they want to. Now that isn't going to be a C suite tick box. That that's going to be like, whoa, what do you mean we're going to let people do what they want? Like we need to funnel them down this path and, and control it. But in terms of the building blocks, I think that's what Facebook's done, right? That's what Facebook have built infrastructure to be able to build groups and other ways of people coming together around ideas and thoughts. I mean, I think, we kind of need to think about it that way from an event organizer's perspective. Um, but you
1: of- can you can you can rely on your on your brand ambassadors to navigate the behaviors that you want them to do and be the ones that um, lead micro communities or target audiences within your micro communities. But that's part of the engagement plan that James was talking about. So I'll give him that one.
0: Fair okay. enough. Okay. The, um I'm aware of some organizers that are coming out with communities, Montgomery events have built some around their food and beverage events. And Mike Seaman at Raccoon Events is building one around a really large community that he's got around running um, and, and and fitness and that B2C crossover. And I think to to Martin's point, you know, we've not seen anything just right now because it's still new. Like we're still coming out of the back end of delivering online events, looking towards delivering physical events again. I think the community aspect will come out and great examples will come out over the next, you know, year or two, maybe a little bit longer while people figure it out. The ones that I would watch are the people that already have communities and come into the event space. Mm. They're the ones to watch. Because they're coming in from a different, they're they're not interested in events being the primary driver. They just want Mm. events to be the thing that bring people, their community together in moments in time. That's my opinion.
1: Well, isn't that why Clubhouse is like super hot right now? Because it's like a community builder. Oh, I saw that one
0: i'm done with it already
1: <laughs> but, but okay so i'm yeah. done with it too i mean but the the reality of it is it gave us a holy shit moment mm. holy shit! oh my god you can have conversations what if those conversations you're building new communities therefore it's new audiences therefore you can bring them in you know to your events etc and prolong the marketing or prolong the engagement plan right before, during, after. The after parties we have, etc. The The linchpin here is you have brand ambassadors. Those that are leading the rooms are part of your marketing plan. So you have to think that way. Like you have oh, to yeah. think a little bit different, but you cannot say, oh, I'm done with it. And then Adam will go James and say, hey James, Dahlia, you go handle Clubhouse for me, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: I'll come back to it when it's cool again.
2: The other thing about the online communities and and those informal associations that some of these platforms are allowing to people, they they are going to want to at some point, turn those communities into a live experience, right oh, yeah. And they're going to have these parameters of what that live experience is and they're going to design around this is what you need to do that's the behavior we wanted this live experience now whether or not that informal come and go pick and mix community is going to accept that is a debate that we'll probably have to have in the years down the line mm-hmm. because people are just at the moment joining these communities they might be a core member an advocate of that community or they might just be joining it for tactical reasons to get one little snippet of information they need there and then. But um, I think it has these communities have implications for the design of live events later down the line. But notwithstanding, what we're talking about today is the um, is is the the design around digital events. And whilst you might have that community, it is going to be a lot easier for, for, in terms of geographic reach, for example. To engage that, that community, um, as long as you're sensitive to cultural differences, um, you know, because you could be broadcasting that event around the world to to uh, countries where we have different religious sensitivities, we have uh, different time zones. You know, there's a whole kind of thing in terms of those those kind of global um, um, uh, those global communities, really. Uh, smaller geographic um, communities that are based, say, in London or the UK, one time zone, a general kind of cultural aesthetic, is a lot easier to deal with than if you if you read exhibitions and you're having to do uh, a, an event that was maybe in four regions at some point, and now it's just one region is going to be a lot more difficult.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I'm conscious nice of time, guys.
2: Right? <laughs> Have you seen Dahlia's golf as well? I can, like I can, Yeah, spot yeah. on, doesn't but... it? Yeah.
0: There's one question that I would really like to finish off with, and I think it's the question that everybody's asking themselves right now, and it's from Elena again. What's the biggest challenge when we go to organize and design hybrid events?
2: Wow. James, you <laughs> first. Okay, so um, I think it is pr- It's its it's... It's being able to provide the two different audiences. Oh, shall I make the hand movement again, Dahlia? Yes, sir. I'll let you do that.
1: <laughs> Everybody come? now is gonna ask about the hand movement, about EWD, thanks now.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, we do that. But it's 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 a case of having Um, experiences are relevant to both audiences where they can come together at some points in time but then they go off and do their own thing in the virtual world or the live world so walking the show floor and having that serendipitous trying to do that in the virtual world is really really you know it's just not gonna work so then people can go off and do that but then you should be providing your virtual audience with something equally as engaging. And I think that's the key with hybrid is to make sure that you both have not an equal experience, but both those experiences are valued to the, to the same extent by those different audiences.
0: Dahlia, where are you at?
1: Um, so I think people are trying really hard to try to, again, replicate the same experience from a live event to the virtual audience. I don't know if you necessarily need to do that. I say challenge yourself and take advantage of the opportunities where there could be something different for each type of audience. There, this, this whole like hand movement means something because there are points where you can bring them together and you can bring them together through content, you can bring them together through um, like even social media like taking pictures together and, and matchmaking, you can do the matchmaking, that's perfect. You can also bring them together where you're, it's almost like a buddy-buddy system. If James is in, in uh, Barcelona at uh, IBTM World, for example, I'm in Boston, he should have me on his phone and take me around to meet people, etc. So that is, there you go, dude, like <laughs> that is all us. If you guys yeah. are drinking at a bar in Barcelona, you're taking me with you, that's, that's that part. But the, the, the honest truth is you have to be prepared to spoon feed your audiences what you are creating. You can't leave yeah. it to an email, you can't leave it to a tweet, can't leave it to a Facebook post and think that they're going to act accordingly. Yeah. So you, you need to make sure that engagement plan and that promotion and that messaging is spot on.
2: And how do you communicate that engagement plan? Exactly. You know, companies like Mosses and Moderation, the Dutch-based company—sorry, Netherlands-based company—I shouldn't say yes. that. That's Absolutely. wrong. Um, uh, they they do a really great job at that, virtually and live. You know, and that's what you need. Or you need the MC virtually. You need the MC live. You need them to be communicating with each other so they can get the. Swimming
0: movement or whatever. <laughs> that, that will be an event industry thing now. This is how we describe <laughs> hybrid events. I, I have a slightly difference of opinion. Not that I disagree with anything that you guys have just said. But I think the biggest challenge to us trying to organise and design hybrid events will be the pressure to focus back on the physical, not given the opportunity to try things, not being given the budget and to pay lip service. To the digital experience, mm. Mm. I think that is the biggest challenge. Part of me yeah. says it's experience, but you can't gain experience if you're not given the opportunity. Yeah. So I think I think I think that's where a large proportion and, and I hate to say it, darling, you mentioned these associations earlier that will go back to the revenue drivers of physical events and bringing people together and be like, let's just drop that because it's hard work, or we'll just put the we'll just put the we'll point a camera at the stage and put it online. And, and, you know, that's what was done before when it came to, to, to hybrid yeah. events. It was like, well, the content's available online. If people want to watch it, off they go. I think that's the biggest challenge, that people will focus too sharply, too quickly back on um, the physical event for the most part, and the digital side will drop. Um,
2: so what we so, have seen, Adam, interestingly enough, you know, we, we saw festivalization in live, and we did continue that into um, – into the virtual realm you know and we do have people who are being sent just eat vouchers or meals or games or those kinds of things or or the song division sing-along corporate anthem type design uh, activities so i think that there is still room for that Um, but again you know like you say it comes back to the budget it also comes back to how seriously the people that have facilitated those communities um, are going to shove them towards the live and give a second-class experience to the virtual audiences.
0: I, th- I think it also comes down to the type of event. I think, let's be honest about it, you mentioned it earlier, Dahlia, is a, is a company online really an exhibitor? Just let, let's be honest about it, does the trade show format just work so, so much better physically that that's where the core value is, so that's where the focus? Whereas conferences or content-led... You know, it's it's people want speed and access and ease. They don't necessarily want to travel for three hours to a conference for one session. True. Because that's so much time out of their day and it's it's a really slow way to access information in a digital world where you've got, you know, yeah, most information I've, on the end of a of a Google yeah. search.
1: And and so so devil's advocate, again, because I can and you're running out of time, is what if hybrid is not for everybody?
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: And, and what if someone says, hey, you know what? My content portion is virtual. My B2B and my uh, trade show component is gonna be hub and spoke, regional, mm. deal.
0: I, I, I had this and, conversation and- with somebody the other day that the, the, the learning and the, and the business element could exist online. And then the thing that brings people together is all the cool bits around that event that you go to, the, the beers in Barcelona, the after parties, the surf summit at Web Summit. And actually, that's where a lot of the quality time, the relationship building, the networking, the, the, the deals are struck, actually, in a lot of those environments, the big stuff. Yeah. That's actually, you could actually just separate all of that out and focus on that rather than kind of shoehorning it around the content the education. And actually that
1: for sanity purposes and for organizers not to be ugly crying in the bathroom and drinking themselves yeah. silly, that is an easier thing to do. Like they won't have to do three different proposals or like two different proposals and then say, oh my God, look at look at the monies. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna cost you a lot.
2: But, you know, it just comes back down to um, just going back to the census thing that is not getting. And um, Mm -hmm. we'll go offline and talk about this. But, you know, the thing is you cannot replicate. If you think about business events. So we talk about a Fashion Week designer catwalk show. You cannot replicate that online. It has to be live. That that ready wear to wear collection you want to go and touch and feel it afterwards. The same with a, a motor show, you need to get in the vehicle. You know, just doing it, on, just doing it on, um, just doing it on a pair of VR glasses and seeing the inside of the vehicle is not like smelling the leather. You know, well, so I, that... I differ.
0: Vegan <laughs> oh, leather is available, Jim. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: but
0: you know, that, that, that's why- you. You're that. absolutely right. It's it's you know. It, It'd be like tuning into a remote birthday party, isn't it? It's just not it's just not gonna be the same. No. But the question is, for those that can't attend, should that be a reason not to do that? Because we've got to think about accessibility and stuff.
2: And offer something that's unique to the virtual value proposition Mm -hmm. that you're not going to get in the live event.
1: I think yeah. there'll be an audience that will grow up to say, virtually, I want that fashion show in my Oculus. Yeah, and I can like even test out like watches or look at a pair of shoes from my couch because they've been on their couch for three sixty-five playing Animal Crossing on Nintendo Switch, and I know that for a reason. So,
0: <laughs> well on that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> of the Nintendo Switch yeah. yeah, Guys, it's it's been really good to have you both on. You have both got similar opinions, but you have both got conflicting ideas as well. Um, Dalia, yeah. I know you come back from, come from a much more emotional, gut feeling side of things and James you're much more methodical and thought out. But before we go, James, you've got something coming up that um I guess this community or the people watching should know about, right?
2: Yeah, um um I'm hosting an event um on the 7th of april on the expo platform it's actually a tribute to julia rutherford silvers who um event designer uh, author academic um she wrote one of the bibles um on events management called professional event coordination and uh, we've got an amazing lineup of speakers talking about her six a's which are anticipation um arrival, atmospherics, appetite, activities, and amenities. And in fact, Dahlia's speaking at that event on amenities. And um, that's on the 7th of April. So check out the social media channels. Um, And it'd be great if you guys could join us.
0: Where can can people register, James, or check it out?
2: Um, They can register on, um, well, um, if you search LinkedIn for tribute to Julia Rutherford-Silver's you'll find the event on there. And um, yeah, love to have you all along.
0: Awesome. Well, that's the end of episode four of the Event Tech Talk show. Thank you to James and Dahlia for coming on. If you have more, any questions, at us and tweet at us on, um, with the hashtag Event Tech Talks and we'll come back to you. Thanks to everybody who's engaged with questions and comments today as well. And we'll see you in the next episode.